I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our verse-by-verse exposition of the Sermon on the Mount. As uh, we've just finished singing of our great Redeemer, and now we turn to His Word to hear from Him this morning and uh, how we can respond to Him in living a life pleasing in His sight. The title of this morning's message is, What's Your Motivation? As we look at Jesus' continuing instruction to us concerning righteousness. Jesus has been telling us um, from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, He's been confronting us with the reality that we're not as righteous as we think we are. And there is a, a difference between moral righteousness, which He deals with in the first chapter and uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, and then as we get into chapter 6, he kind of switches direction and begins to speak about religious righteousness. And uh, as we get into chapter 6, we're going to see that Jesus deals with three areas of religious devotion. He deals with giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And these are our three areas of religious devotion. They're really common amongst different religions, but were especially important to the Jews of Jesus' day in, in demonstrating that devotion to God. And so he begins in chapter 6 to begin to speak of the first of those three in dealing with giving to the poor. That is, demonstrating righteousness by helping those that are in need. And part of the reason why Jesus begins to enter into this area of religious righteousness is because He is continuing to try and demonstrate that we have a need greater than ourselves. That we have a need for something outside of ourselves. And, and Jesus has been exposing, really, the heart of people. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' intention is to expose our hearts, to help us to see that we need the Lord, that we need something greater than ourselves. And so Jesus, and of course, when we just finished in chapter 5, as Jesus had demonstrated through, uh, through looking at the law and through setting up this uh, instruction concerning the righteousness of the law, He helped us to understand that, that true righteousness isn't in us because it's a standard that only comes from God and through God. That is that standard of perfection, right? We can't attain to that. We all fall short of the glory of God, right? And so God's standard is perfection, so the only way that we can attain to that perfect status is through Jesus Christ. And as He moves on to begin to speak to us about religious righteousness, He is going to help us to understand that the acceptable motives for righteous deeds can only come through a right relationship with Him. And that relationship can only come through Jesus Christ. And so everything that Christ gives us, every instruction that He gives us, is meant to help lead us back into His presence, recognizing our need and bringing us into submission to His Lordship. In Jesus' time, many of the religious Jews had become so focused on doing good deeds in order to try and earn God's favor that they were missing out on recognizing the purpose for which God had called them to himself and, and missing out on the relationship which God had called him, them to be with, with him in that relationship. 
to they saw their good deeds by that which would make them acceptable, but failed to see they could never be quite good enough. You see, we are entirely, completely, and forever dependent on the righteousness of Christ. We are dependent on Him to save us initially. We are dependent on Him to keep us in our salvation. And we are dependent on Him to bring us to glory. There is never a time when we are not dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace which He gives us. We cannot do it on our own. Today, as we think about the world in which we live in compared to the world in which Jesus lives in, and it's really not all that different, You've, you've heard us share, you've heard me share about speaking to people about what it takes to get into heaven and so many people referring to that they think that what it takes is to be a good person, to do good deeds. But how good is good enough? The Lord says we must be perfect. We recognize that we cannot meet that need. But yet, we continue to try to do good. And we fall into that trap of trying to, to do good, to meet needs. And, and we've, we've actually gotten to the point in our society and, and within some of our churches where we, have, where we have made the act of doing good things, we have made that the gospel. We have, we have actually transformed the gospel into something that we do rather than something that Christ has done. And I've heard people say things like this when, when they're, they're trying to promote some, some outreach that they're doing, some activity that they're doing, and we're going to go out and we're going to, and we're going to care for the poor and we're, going to, and we're going to meet their needs and we're going to help them along because that's the gospel. No, listen to me, that is not the gospel. Caring for the poor is not the gospel. Taking care of orphans is not the gospel. Is it motivated by the gospel? Yes. Is it a demonstration of the love of the gospel? Yes. But it is not the gospel. There is only one gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. It tells us that we are sinners separated from a holy God. That we are separated because we have offended his righteousness and because we cannot restore the relationship on our own. God in his infinite wisdom sent his one and only unique son into the world to become a payment for our sin and that we might be forgiven in him. That is the gospel. And that is the only gospel that will save you. That is the only gospel that will give you a right relationship with God. It is the only gospel that will get you into heaven. We have to recognize that our need is for Jesus. You are not getting there on your own. We are dependent on his mercy. We are dependent on his intervention. Now, of course, we recognize as Jesus comes and he's, and he's preaching this sermon that the fullness of the gospel as we understand it today has not yet been revealed, right? I mean, Jesus came to fulfill the requirements of the gospel message. But that does not mean that the gospel was unknown to the people of his day. In fact, the promise of the good news of redemption was something that is well accounted for throughout the pages of the Old Testament. From the time that man fell into sin, God had made a promise to redeem mankind. Jesus Christ had come to fulfill that promise. And so as Jesus comes into the world and as he's engaging people, he needs them to understand something. 
They can't get there on their own. They have made a religion of self-righteousness and Jesus is trying to show them their need for something outside of themselves. He's trying to reveal the, the trap of sin that has kept them from the truth in order because he, remember, he's there to fulfill that need. He, he wants people to see the need. And so he confronts them in their sinfulness, in their selfishness, and in their self-satisfaction and self-righteousness. And he comes to preach to help people see their helpless estate and their need for God's intervention. And so he speaks to them of the error in the teaching that they had received. And now he exposes the error in the motives of their religious devotion. A confrontation that challenges each one of us in our own motivations for the good we do for others. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word as we continue to read the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as recorded by Matthew in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Gracious Father in heaven, we come before you, and we ask, Lord, that you open our hearts to the truths that we just read. That we might be challenged in our own good works to seek the motivation by which we do them. Are we doing them? for self-recognition? Are we doing them for pride? Or are we doing them for the glory of Your name? Challenge us, Lord, and teach us Your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus begins this section of the sermon basically exposing two primary motivations for, the, for why we should do good deeds, why should we should help those in need, why we should give to the poor. Really, why we should do any of the devotions that he's going to talk about, why we should help those in need, why we should pray, why we should fast. All of these are, are connected, although he doesn't connect them all at this point, but they are all connected, and the motivations behind each one are linked to this opening statement that Jesus makes when he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. He is speaking of those acts of religious devotion. You see, there is a pretended righteousness that captures the attention of others and looks for personal recognition for the things which are done. And then there is also a genuine desire to honor God by doing that which demonstrates obedience to His Word and reflects His love to others through us. 
our text this morning breaks down those two motivations, those, the motivation of pride and the motivation of service, the motivation to be recognized by others and the motivation to be rewarded from heaven. I want to first look at the motivation to be recognized by others. He, we see it presented to us here in, in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. He says, Beware of this necessity that we have, this desire that we have to do things that cause others to look at us and to pat us on the back. It says, beware of that which builds up pride in yourself. Beware of that which is motivated in a sort of self-righteousness rather than a humble obedience. This first verse, it, it presents for us the contrast that Jesus is seeking to establish in, in these motivations as he's looking at this, as he gives us the warning first, the, the beware of practicing your righteousness. And he says, otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. That is, if you do the things which, which bring you to the place of self-congratulations and, and self-pride and self-sustaining and self-righteousness, if you do those things to be recognized, you're forfeiting that which God would love to bless you with if you would do it for His honor and glory. And so he sets up the contrast for us in this, in this first verse, telling us and revealing that our hearts are either that which looks for the approval of the world or the approval of God. And it challenges our inmost motivation. Are we thinking about those things which are temporary, are we thinking about those things which are eternal? Are we thinking about those things which are secular? Or are we thinking about those things which are spiritual? And he challenges us in this motivation to be recognized by others. He challenges us to recognize that we have a there is a temptation for us to plan our good deeds in such a way that we will be noticed by others. And that's what he says there in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. That is, this is a plan that is carried out so that people will see what it is that you're doing so that they will think more highly of you. I was just, I was just thinking um, about this this week and, and, uh, and thinking about, uh, imagine that if uh, you're, we, we know and we understand that there are, there are poor people in need around us, all around, and you drive around town, you know where they are, you know where they hang out. It was the same in Jesus' day. The, the people who were in need, they tended to collect in certain areas of the city where they knew there would be people passing by and they knew that they could be able to ask for help. And, and in that knowledge, you know, it's possible for us to, to make a plan to do things to be noticed by others. So let's just say you know where these people are and uh, they're hanging out down on the corner by Walmart and uh, your in-laws are coming over this weekend and you're going to go out for dinner and you're going to go down there to the Ninja Mongolian place there near Walmart and you think, hey, you know what? While my in-laws are here, I want to show them what kind of a good guy I am. So I'm going to go by and we're going to make, I'm going to make sure that we stop and I help this guy out so they'll know how good I am. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, don't make a plan to, to demonstrate your righteousness before others. If there's people that are in need, we need, we need to help them, not because we're trying to, to gain the recognition of the people around us, but because we're trying to honor God and do what He would have us to do. The same type of wrong motivation is seen when we, when we promote our actions so others will see. 
Now this, this could be a, a part of a planned work as we see in, in, in verse 2, but I think this is more of a spontaneous kind of need that arises, but we're trying to help people, or we're trying to draw attention to ourselves. Look there in verse 2 with me. He says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Jesus paints a picture for us here of the Pharisees walking through the streets with, with trumpeters out in front playing fanfare for them as they make their way to the temple to worship and uh, knowing that they're going so that people will notice them and on their way they know they're going to meet those people so that they can do those things. Now, we, we don't know if this is a, an accurate statement of what actually happened or if Jesus is just using figurative language to make the point about drawing attention to yourself so that people will see what it is that you're doing, promoting yourself. Um, one commentator that I read, he suggested that he believed the, the trumpeting to be something maybe as simple as, as giving to the poor person in need in such a way so as when, you're, when your change hits the metal bucket, it makes a loud enough noise that people notice what you're doing. And it's not hard for us to imagine that people... people like to be noticed for the things that they do. We may have even been there at one time ourselves as, as we were wanting to do something nice for somebody, but we also wanted to be recognized for doing it. And so we sought to promote our action and gain recognition for that work. But Jesus calls this type of generosity hypocrisy. Look there again in verse 2. He says, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that you may be noticed of men. We typically think of the word hypocrite as somebody who says one thing and does something else. Well, that's not really what Jesus is talking about in this context. He's talking about not so much differences between words and actions, but actions and motivations. This is where Jesus comes to the heart of the issue. And actually, in, in the Greek language, the word hypocrite is derived from a word that referred to actors on stage in a play. The, the people who were the, the, the prominent leaders in the play, they were the hypocrites. They were the ones wearing a mask. Of course, somebody goes, going to a play is not deceived by the person wearing the mask. They know they're wearing a mask. They're playing a part that is not who they are. But yet, Jesus compares the Pharisees and, and the religious people who are carrying out this devotion to those same actors, except he's pointing out that theirs is, an, is a deception that is intentional because they're not just, they are pretending, but they're pretending in such a way as to deceive others to think that they are something that they're truly not, as he's challenging them and really challenging us to recognize that our motivations matter. Why we carry out and why we do good works is just as important, if not more important, it's really more important than the action itself. When we see a need, when we're trying to help people, certainly it's important to help people. But the reason why is so important. And this is what Jesus is trying to help us to see is He's revealing our hearts so that we would seek the approval of God rather than the approval of men. He reveals a heart that seeks recognition of others is not merely in giving 
in giving to the poor, but it can overflow into other areas of life as well. We see these kind of abuses happening and, and maybe even recognizing them in people we know or even in ourselves as, as people uh, do things. They, they, they give generously to certain areas in order to be applauded or to exert a certain authority. You think about people who give to political campaigns. Why do they give to political campaigns? So that they might be favored by the party or the person that they're giving to. People that, um, people that might give to, say, something like the Fraternal Order of Police, thinking that maybe if they get that little sticker that it might get them out of a ticket. People that give generously to churches in order to exert some authority over what the church does. All of these are wrong motivations for giving, and all of them present a false righteousness motivated by personal pride rather than humble obedience before God. Jesus tells us that when we're motivated by recognition from others that we're likely to get it, but that that's all we'll get. Notice what he says here. He says, truly, in verse, the latter half of verse 2, he says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. He says, if you want to do good things to be recognized by people, you, you can gain the recognition, but you gain no approval from the Lord. Our so-called good deed doesn't impress God because it doesn't glorify Him. See, God has called us to glorify Him. And when we do that which glorifies us, it robs God of His glory. And He is not pleased. But if our motivation in giving is to honor God and to be obedient to His Word, He has indicated to us that He will reward us. Let's go back to verse 1, just here for a second. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So if we have no reward for practicing our righteousness in a way that to be seen, then it would seem to indicate that if we practice our righteousness in order to honor God, that we will have a reward, right? I mean, it just that's just the logic there. And of course, when we get down to verse 4, he tells us, in fact, he says, So you're... In verse 4, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He has made a promise for reward for doing those things which are rightly motivated. That we ought to be not seeking the recognition of men, but we ought to be seeking the reward from heaven. The reward that our Father has told us that He will give us when our hearts are rightly motivated to Him. But the reality is, as we continue to look at this passage, what we're going to see is that just because we do things in a way that people may not notice doesn't mean we're necessarily have escaped the temptation of self-righteousness and self-congratulations. Look with me at verse number three. He says, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, what is this? This is, this goes beyond just merely doing it for for public recognition. This is even trying to convince yourself that you're of what you're doing or not doing. That is, you're not, Jesus is giving us a warning here of making much of ourselves because we can try and do things in secret and try to avoid public recognition, but we can, in, but we can at the same time in secret be patting ourselves on the back, be giving ourselves congratulations for what we've done by puffing ourselves up by saying we've done a good thing. 
And in some ways, that deception is even worse than the first. In the first, in the first way, in the first motivation, if, if you're doing something that is obvious to your brothers and sisters in Christ that you've done in order to be recognized for it, they can come alongside you and hold you accountable. But if you're doing it in accordance with what God's Word says, and, and you're doing it in a way so as you're not trying to gain recognition from people, but you're secretly puffing yourself up and building yourself up in your generosity, then that's not so easy for people to point out. But both are a heart issue. And both are a reality that we have to contend with in recognizing that our actions have a tendency in our lives to build up pride within us. And we need to fight against that in order that we might seek the favor of our Heavenly Father. It is the motivation of the heart that Jesus is concerned with. The heart that is truly devoted to God doesn't seek the approval of others, nor does it glory in personal pride, but it seeks that which brings glory and honor to our Heavenly Father. That is the kind of devotion that pleases Him and the kind of devotion that God rewards. But what is that reward? And if we're doing it for the receiving of a reward, it would seem to even go against what Jesus is telling us not to do, right? Because, I mean, all throughout this, he's so far, he's told us to do it so that we're not rewarded. But then he says, but now do it so that you are rewarded. So how do we deal with that? I was reading John Stott's book, The Message of the Sermon on the Mount, and and uh, in it, he references C.S. Lewis at this point to give some clarity on the issue of rewards here. Lewis says, and I quote, There are different kinds of reward. There is the reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany those things. Money is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage is the proper reward for a real lover, and he is not mercenary for desiring it. End quote. Stott continues, Similarly, we might say that a silver cup is not a very suitable reward for a schoolboy who works hard, whereas a scholarship at the university would be. C.S. Lewis concludes his argument, the proper rewards are not simply tacked onto the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. End quote from Lewis. Stock continues, what then is the reward which the Heavenly Father gives the secret giver? It is neither public nor necessarily future. It is probably the only reward which genuine love wants when making a gift to the needy. Namely, to see the need relieved. When through his gifts the hungry are fed, the naked clothed, the sick healed, the oppressed freed, and the lost saved, the love which prompted the gift is satisfied. Such love, which is God's own love expressed through man, brings with, its own, with it its own secret joys and desires no other reward. Probably never thought about the reward for being obedient to God in such terms. And while I agree with most of what Stott says here, I think there may be a little bit more to it. Because 
I think more than seeing the fruit of our giving having its desired effect is seeing the fruit of our giving leading others to glorify God. Knowing that God is pleased with what we're doing and knowing that God is being glorified through our efforts. That is the reward that Jesus is referencing here. You, you may could make a connection to the future reward of the believer at the judgment seat of Christ. We see that in Scripture. We know that there's a, a sense in which we'll be judged for the actions that we do in the faith and that He'll reward us at that time. But contextually, I don't think that's what Jesus is referencing here. I think Jesus is really causing us to look at our relationship with God and helping us to draw satisfaction in the reality of a job well done before our Heavenly Father. That, it is, Jesus is, that is giving us that promotion of simple obedience for the sake of glorifying God rather than promoting self. But what about, now what about this idea that everything that we do in our giving should be done in secret? Is, is it possible for us to do things publicly and still honor God. Well, I mean, Jesus said previously, I mean, we go back just to chapter 5. And what did Jesus say there? He called us the lights of the world, right? And he says, and so let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven, right? So on one hand, Jesus is telling us, do good deeds so that people will see Him and glorify God. And then He turns around and tells us, don't do good deeds so that people will see them and you get the glory for it. So how can he tell us the same thing and, and say, well, this is a contradiction in Scripture? No, Jesus is dealing with two different aspects of sin. In the first, he's dealing with the shame of the person who is ashamed of their faith and ashamed of their, their walk with God because they're afraid of being oppressed or they're opposed or being oppressed or being persecuted and so that they keep their faith to themselves. And so God tells them, don't hide your light, right? But let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's all about the glory of God. Whether we're, whether we're shining our light before men or whether we're fighting against personal pride. In this context, Jesus is instructing them to fight against the personal pride that comes from doing things and getting rewarded. You could be the person who hears the instruction, let your light shine before men and so that people might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And you go out and you start shining your light and you start doing good things and, and people start patting you on the back and you start feeling prideful and then all of a sudden your motivations change because you're no longer concerned about being obedient, you're concerned about what other people think. And so Jesus is warning about those extremes because you can be in either place. And we know that, that we're not to be ashamed of our faith, right? I mean, the Scripture tells us that those who are ashamed of Christ that he'll be ashamed of us, right? And so we're not to be ashamed of him. So we, we are to shine our light into the world so that people can see, but we're also to guard against the sin of pride that builds up within us. And so this is what Jesus is saying. So yes, it, of course it's possible to do things so that where people see. It's all about the motivation of the heart and how we must guard ourselves against Pride, while at the same time honoring God in the things that we do. You see, Christianity is not a private faith. 
but neither is it a prideful faith. If we only do good deeds when no one is looking, we may never do them at all. The issue is motivation. Are we motivated by the gospel and for the gospel, or are we motivated for our own personal gain? There is so much Christian work that goes on today that is separated from the gospel message. You see that if you talk to people about going on a mission trip. Every, every time I talk to people about going on a mission trip, when we have some kind of mission trip going on, invariably I will come across somebody that, that will ask, well, what are you going to be doing? And by that, they mean are, what kind of good work are you doing to alleviate the needs of the people in other parts of the world? And so, are you going to dig wells for fresh water? Are you going to build houses? Are you, are you going to care for orphans? Are you going, you know, what, what good deed are you doing to alleviate the needs of the other people in the world? Now, there's nothing wrong with doing those kinds of things. But if that's all we're doing, we've missed the point for why Christ has sent us out into the world. I heard a, a pastor years ago, I don't remember who exactly said it, but it really impacted me. He was talking about the motivation for missions and the things that we do. And he says, if all you do in mission work is meet the needs of people and you don't give them the gospel, you've only made the world a more comfortable place from which they go to hell. That is not what we're called to do. We can use those things, and many churches do use those things as bridges to the gospel and opportunities for the gospel. And that's great. We can do that. But we have to give people the gospel. We are called to be Christ's representatives in the world. When we do missions here at Northside Baptist Church, when we're doing missions, we're doing it for the purpose of sharing the gospel with people. When people call us or come through our doors and are looking for help and are looking for assistance, our intention every time is to give them the gospel. Before they leave here, with whatever help they may receive, they're going to get the gospel. When we go out and, and we do outreach on Monday nights, we're going for the purpose of giving people the gospel because people need to know Jesus Christ. When we have events that we host on our campus to bring people out, community outreach events, we're going to share the gospel with them because more than anything else, what people need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our commission from Christ himself. There are a lot of things that we can do to ease the temporary suffering of those around us, but there's only one thing that we can do that will allow them to escape the eternal suffering resulting from their separation from God. Jesus confronts us in this sermon with the motivations of our heart. You know, it, it feels good to help people in need. You help somebody, you see it make a difference in their life, it, it, it feels good to do that. But if you're not giving them the hope of Christ, what have you really accomplished? So we are called by Christ to make disciples, to share the truth of the gospel, to see people transformed by His power. And while it, it does feel good to, see, to meet needs and to see people helped, it doesn't compare to the reality of seeing someone come to faith in Christ and see their life transformed by the power of God. We are encouraged throughout the New Testament to carry out works of righteousness 
as the means by which we represent Christ to the world. But our acts are never to be those of self-acclamation, but those of Christ's proclamation. So when you give to that person, or when you help that person who is in need, what is your motivation? Are you doing it to feel better about yourself? Are you doing it to look good in front of others? Or are you doing it to honor and glorify God? A Christian is not defined by the actions they take, but by the motivation of the heart that leads them to act. Anyone can do good deeds, but good deeds won't save you. You can try and follow the commandments, but you still fall short. We all need Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, more and more as we read and study the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, we are just confronted with our own weakness and the recognition that what we need above all else is You. Father, we need You, not just to save us. I mean, obviously we need You for that. But we need You to keep us and to guide us, to help us, Lord, to honor you in this life and to carry out the commission that you've given us to make disciples. Lord, we are completely and utterly dependent on you, such that if you were to remove your hand of grace from us for even a moment, we would perish. Father, help us to recognize our need for you. Help us to check our motivations, Father, in the things that we do, that we would do them, Lord, for your honor and glory, and not for any type of self-gratification. And when we catch ourselves in that moment of weakness, lead us to repent, Father, and to surrender ourselves afresh to you. That you might continue to be glorified in and through us. Let us not be half-hearted in our works or deeds. But let us do them in such a way as that others may see Christ in us. Father, I don't know how you'll use this message this morning to impact lives. But Father, I know you've impacted me. You've challenged me this week, and Father, I pray that you would continue to work in the lives of your church, and Father, in the lives of those who are listening to this message, that you would lead them into a deeper relationship with you, that they might desire above all else to honor you with the things that they do. Father, there may be someone who, who needs to know you, needs to know your forgiveness, needs to know the hope of eternity. Father, I pray that you would lead them to a place of surrender today, to call upon you for forgiveness and to ask for your help and guidance in life, trusting in Christ alone. And I pray, Father, that you would 
Help each one of us who, who have a relationship with you. But Father, help us to recognize our need continually to be obedient and to honor you in the things that we do so that we may be pleasing in your sight and we might experience the joy of obedience. And Lord, we ask all of these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.